He was a secret service for God. Very interesting, you know, as we study this passage of Scripture in about five minutes time. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Janice. And this is, of course, Bible Discovery TV. As we study the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, we do that every year. And this is exciting. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to learn something fascinating. It's going to be good. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey? I'm focusing in on 1 Kings chapter 20 and a specific type of warfare that's mentioned there. Ryan? Well, there's at least nine instances of people being raised from the dead in the Bible. So the question is, what sets Jesus's resurrection apart from these ones? Well, we're going to talk about it. Yeah, we'll find that out. That's going to be very interesting. They're coming up in about 20 minutes time. Janice is coming up in about 25 minutes. And your title of your segment is? Today, it's God's Inner Workings. All right, very good. We've got a lot for you in the next half hour, so make sure you join us. Take your Bible guide. Let's turn to the page and listen to what God is saying to us. First Kings 18, 1 through 15. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken one hundred prophets and hidden them fifty to a cave and had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go into the land to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So, they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now, as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him. And he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go, tell your master, Elijah is here. So he said, How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, Go tell your master Elijah is here? And it shall come to pass... As soon as I am gone from you, that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know, so when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid one hundred men of the Lord's prophet, fifty to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here? He will kill me. Then Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. 
1 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. First Kings chapter 18, chapter 19, and chapter 20, it's interesting. As we study the Bible and read through the Bible, there are Christians who work every day in environments that are hostile towards God. Now, I like to call those Christians God's secret servants. There's a great example of this in 1 Kings chapter 18. Obadiah was in charge of King Ahab's household. Now, Ahab was famously dismissive of God, and he was an enemy of the prophet Elijah. All of the while, his top official, I mean, the guy he trusted in, Obadiah, was quietly serving God, the God that he hated. Obadiah had secretly hidden 100 of God's prophets from the evil Queen Jezebel when she began to exterminate them from the northern Israel. Now we see Obadiah come to the front of God's call in the scriptures. During a famine in the land of Israel, Ahab commanded Obadiah to search out for some grass for their livestock. But while on his mission, Obadiah found much more than he was looking for when he met the prophet Elijah. Now, Elijah gives him a new potentially deadly mission from God to take a message back to the king. Now, this could very well get Obadiah executed, and he begins a desperate attempt to appeal for Elijah's mercy. He reacts very stunningly in this way, and if we don't understand it, we won't realize the impact of that message. Take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage in 1 Kings 18, 15 verses here. And as we do that, let me remind you that you can write or call for your Bible guide or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, and when you click on it, it will the, the Bible Guide, that is, it'll take you to a page for your donations. Thank you so much for your donations. We very much appreciate them. And then it'll take you to a place where you can download it exactly how we printed it in a PDF file. Very, very interesting. As we learn about God's secret servants, let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open our hearts. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we come into your presence and we ask you to help us understand the Bible. Help us to understand your word today when it speaks to us, Lord. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. And we all said together, amen and amen. Now, as we look at the scripture, let's understand what's happening. This is the time in northern Israel when they did not like God. For example... 1 Kings 18, and it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the 30 or in the third year, rather, saying, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. And there was a severe famine in Samaria and Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for so it was. While Jezebel, the evil queen, massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. Do you understand what Obadiah is doing? Obadiah was a good man 
who secretly hid and took care of the prophets of God. Now, God always has people in just the right places. <laughs> I'll tell you, in the governments, in the economic places, in the social institutions, there are people there who God has called. They love the Lord and they're serving the Lord. And we need to remember that because today's political world and the news world and everybody's jumping all over everything. We should remember that God has his people in his places. And that's very important to remember. Christians are everywhere. They're even in Russia. They're even in China. In fact, that's the world's largest church. Christians are everywhere and they love the Lord. It's not necessarily represents the government there, but they're there. Fascinating. We need to pray for them and ask God to use them. First Kings 18, five to 14, watch this. And Ahab said to Obadiah, go into the land, to all the springs of the water and to the brooks, and perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and the mules alive so we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. And Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now, as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him and he recognized him and he fell on his face and said, is that you, my Lord, Elijah? And he answered him, it is, it is I go and tell your master Elijah is here. So he said to him, how have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me as the Lord, your God lives there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you, Elijah. And when they say he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or the nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here and it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you, that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid 100 men of the Lord, his prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Obadiah is terrified that he will be killed if he fulfills Elijah's request. Sometimes we might not think our life is over, or sometimes we might think our life is over, but God has other plans that we don't see. God has other plans. Have you ever been in that situation where you're saying, wait a minute, this is risky for me? Well, welcome to Christianity because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. God calls us to serve him in whatever case we are in. Now, Risky doesn't mean you've lost because you haven't lost. God has won the war. We must not be afraid of fear, which is a spirit. Look at this. First Kings chapter 18, verse 15. Here's what it says. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. Now, what does that mean? The third point, Elijah assures Obadiah in the name of the Lord Jesus that he will meet with Ahab. God's plans are always better than ours, even when we may not like them. <laughs> There's a lot of times I don't like the plans of God. 
And I'm like, Lord, I, I can think of a better way to do this. But God knows so much more than me. God knows so much more than you. God knows more than everybody. So as believers in Jesus Christ, if we are believers, listen carefully, we must follow the Lord's plan because he has a plan. And we need to stay with that, especially in times of chaos like we're in right now. Now, if you're not a believer in the Lord, I invite you to come in and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I decide to follow you. Help me today. You died on the cross and rose again. In Jesus' name, amen. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, uh, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. Welcome back to the program. Today, my segment is based on the last part of 1 Kings chapter 17, where Elijah raises a widow's son from the dead. And while this is the first time in the Bible that someone is actually raised from the dead, it definitely isn't the last time. As a matter of fact, there are at least eight other times in the Bible that an individual who is once dead is raised to life. This all, of course, through the power of Almighty God, the giver of life. But all of these raisings bring up a very interesting and an important question. What sets Jesus Christ's bodily resurrection apart from all the other raisings in the Bible? Within the biblical record are at least nine instances of specific individuals being raised from the dead. Three of these are found in the Old Testament and include the raising up of a widow's son by Elijah in 1 Kings 17, the raising up of a Shunammite woman's son by Elisha in 2 Kings 4.35, and the raising up of a man whose lifeless body merely touches the bones of Elijah in 2 Kings 13.21. In the New Testament, there are six occasions of specific individuals being raised up. Of these, three are performed by Jesus himself, including the raising of a widow's son at Nain, the raising of Jairus' daughter, and the raising of his friend Lazarus. Similarly, in the book of Acts, Peter raises Tabitha, and Paul raises Eutychus. And then, of course, there's the momentous raising of Jesus Christ on the third day after his death and burial. In addition to all of these, there is a group of dead saints that rises out of their graves between Jesus' death and resurrection in Matthew chapter 27. While all of these miraculous raisings are a truly magnificent testimony to the power of God, they also beg an important question. What is it that sets Christ's resurrection apart from all the others? A key passage is 1 Corinthians 15 verses 20 to 23. As one notable Bible scholar explains, here, Paul says that Christ is the firstfruits of those who are resurrected. But what about those who were raised before his resurrection? What about those in the Old Testament, or the ones Jesus himself raised? Wouldn't they be the firstfruits? Not according to Paul. Jesus was resurrected, never to die again. All those others who were brought back to life were raised, but they would eventually die again, to be raised a final time with all those who belonged to Christ at his second coming. The quality of the resurrection was something very different from the resurrection Jesus experienced. In addition to all this, 
Jesus' resurrected body had new characteristics, which his pre-resurrection body had not possessed. He was able to appear and disappear at will, and he ascended to heaven in his physical body. None of these other people who were raised had yet received their new resurrected bodies. They were raised in their mortal flesh and blood bodies that they had previously died in with the expectation that they would die again. This is why the resurrections are really resuscitations, while Jesus was resurrected in the very fullest sense. The physical bodies of these others were resuscitated, but Jesus was resurrected with a body that was recognizably his own, yet radically transformed. Thanks be to God that those of us who are in Christ will also receive radically transformed bodies that will not be subject to decay or death anymore. So we can see that Jesus' bodily resurrection was entirely different than all the others. These others were brought back to life in their original mortal flesh and blood bodies. It was more like a resuscitation. But Jesus rising was the first true resurrection. He rose in a new kind of body. Though still physical, this new body had special properties, and it was a body that would never see death again. And the fact that Jesus' resurrection was considered the first fruits means that those of us who are in Christ will also rise in this fashion when he comes again. So if you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ, then what are you waiting for? That's right. What are you waiting for? If you're watching this program and this is the first time you've heard about Jesus Christ, he is Lord. Call on him. You know, don't you don't have to call an 800 number or go to some web, website. You just pray and understand who God is. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And when he, you ask him to come into your heart and be your Lord, he will. Things will change for you if you're serious about it. Corey? All right. Well, when we get to 1 Kings chapter 20, we see King Ahab get into a really, really bad spot. So Ahab is king of Israel, and Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, has come against Ahab and northern Israel. They've come against Samaria, but not just by themselves, not just as Aram, which is also called Syria, but with an allegiance of many kings, so different city-states and other country allegiances had come, and they had camped against Samaria and had besieged her. So this was a very bad scenario for King Ahab, and we can see that reflected in his response. Let's take a look at what besiegement actually was. From very early times, people have found it necessary to build walls around their living spaces. For cities, these protective fortifications could be quite elaborate, including double wall systems with steep space between to provide a defensive advantage, moats, towers, complex gate structures, and thick wooden metal-covered doors. But just as people worked to fortify their cities, others worked to find ways of destroying them. There were several ways of trying to compromise fortifications, but none was so dreaded than the most obvious, a siege. When an army would attack a walled city, they knew that this battle could last for years, and so it was an expensive, logistically challenging, physically, mentally draining process. A siege essentially imprisoned the citizens of a walled city, giving them two choices, surrender now or face thirst, starvation, and death. Historically, when an invading army finally did break through the defenses of a walled city, major atrocities were committed. Sometimes years of anger and hatred had developed before the excited frenzy of success, resulting in mass murder, abuse, and at best, enslavement. 
to imprison the citizens inside of their own walled city. An attacking army would set up a perimeter around the city using ditches and moats and building walls and towers. The army would camp and live around these new fortifications. No one or thing could go to or from the city. With these preparations complete, they would begin attacks against the fortifications themselves. These attacks were varied. Sappers would attempt to collapse walls by digging tunnels underneath using wooden support beams. When they believed they were at the right location, they'd set the support beams on fire to cause the tunnels and hopefully the wall to collapse. While the sappers were digging, others would attack the walls at strategic locations using battering rams with blades to pry between brick and stone. Fires could be set against the walls with hopes that the great heat would eventually begin to crack and compromise them. Gates were also attacked with battering rams and fire, though once through a gate, the military would often have to deal with a tight, winding, defensive space and sometimes a secondary gate. Large ladders were also used to simply scale the wall. And while this was a dangerous business, when used all together, these strategies could be effective in breaching defenses and at least in lowering the resilience of the entrapped citizens. As for defenses, a city was largely reliant on its height advantage. From the wall, they could shoot arrows, throw stones, pour hot liquid, try to set fires, try to dislodge battering rams with chains. But often, what would stop a siege was out of the city's control, a contagious sickness in the attacking army, a military emergency elsewhere to draw them away, or that the enemy would have overestimated their economic ability to last. So hopefully this explains Ahab's response here. He is very willing to work with Ben-Hadad because he knows, you know, he's in a lot of trouble. Israel is in a lot of trouble. But of course, that's not the end of the story. It's definitely worth reading 1 Kings 20 all the way through because it turns out in a very interesting way. Yes, it does. We learned some interesting things from this gentleman. And uh, <laughs> some of the people in the Bible that we read about aren't gentlemen. But nevertheless... Uh, it's very, very good. Okay, Janice? Real people, huh? Yes, Human indeed. Nature. indeed. Human nature. And that's what's really interesting, I think, to, to, to go through the Bible. When you recognize these aren't just characters that somebody has made up. These are real life people. And a lot of times we can see ourselves in them. Um, I sure wouldn't want my life story put in a book for everyone to read. So no. anyway, um, this chapter in First um, Kings 18 opens up um, with God telling Elijah to present himself to Ahab. And I called this God's inner workings because it's so interesting when we pull back from the story and we see what God did to make this moment happen with the responses of each of these people. Because in the chapter before, which had been three years earlier, um, Elijah made an announcement to Israel and King Ahab that uh, on his word, which of course would be by the word of God, but through Elijah's word, there would be no rain. There, there would be a famine in the land. There would be drought. And so now it's three years later and we see in the opening verse that God is telling Elijah now to go present himself to Ahab. But in the meantime, we learn about this Obadiah who is um, someone who fears and serves the Lord and yet works uh, in Ahab's household. He has done a very brave thing. He has gone against 
the queen, and he has hidden prophets that she is trying to kill. Uh, Obadiah, Obadiah has hidden them. He's been feeding them bread and water. This was a very dangerous thing to do, but he did it because he loved God and because he wanted to protect those prophets. And so we see this time now in between, in the three years, uh, in Obadiah's kind of rant about, why are you asking me to, to go to the king, Elijah? I, I'm going to lose my life. He could have lost his life with Jezebel, but this confronted him because he said, you know, Ahab has been hunting you down. And every time somebody sees you and they go back and tell the king, you're gone, you're not there. So if I go and you, you can just feel the, the, the pressure on Obadiah. And yet Elijah says to him, I'm, listen, it's time for me. I want to see Ahab. I'm going to do what I'm what I said I'm going to do, and and it just struck me very much how that God uses each situation in our lives. He knows our responses, and sometimes He does give us assignments as as God does that are not comfortable to us. They don't make a whole lot of sense. Poor Obadiah was panicked over this situation, that this could be an execution for him with the king, had he not found Elijah. But on the other hand, he was doing what he thought he could do to serve God in protecting the prophets. And so what am I saying? God uses these situations to bring about God's will. And when we have our lives committed to follow God, there may be things that God has asked us to do that are very uncomfortable, that don't even make sense, but it's part of who we are. We are not God. God is God, and our lives are given to do what God calls us to do, and it's not always the easy thing, but what a wonderful journey, what a wonderful adventure, what a wonderful time in our lives to build that faith in a God who is faithful to us, in a God who has a plan, in a God who has a purpose, in a God whose will will be fulfilled. And when we decide to follow God, we will be in his plan. Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Well, we've got a program called Beyond the Call. It talks about the testimony of Jesus Christ in the lives of so many people. And it can be yours. You can watch it and enjoy it. And the only place to get it is Pastor Rod Hembry. Look up Pastor Rod Hembry on YouTube. And you can see the program there, which we release specifically for YouTube. Now today, let's pray. Lord, help me to have the mind of Christ as I learn to follow you. That's not easy, Lord. Help me to do that. 